0: And again, we're, we're in Acts chapter 4 this morning, and this is one of my uh, favorite stories that is occurring at this juncture in the Scriptures, because it is dealing with a man who was born lame. It says he was lame from his birth. And uh, it, uh, that we will deal with, we will be talking about what happens with Peter and John, As a result of this miraculous healing that takes place. Of course, we know that Peter and John were not responsible for the healing. But let's just get into our text and we'll just read um, the first um, ten verses to begin of Acts chapter 4. And I've titled today's message, the healing of the man, uh, the healing of the of the lame man, the aftermath, and uh, so Acts chapter four verses one to ten says, and as they spoke unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold to the next day. For it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the, the high priest, Caiaphas and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth... Whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. And so, let's look at the picture that's painted here. We have a man that has just been healed from a lifelong infirmity, and what is the focus of these religious leaders? It says in verse 2, "...being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead." Now, one thing that I've noticed about the religious leaders in the Scriptures is they often miss the most important things. If anybody should have known about the power of Jesus and should have known that He was coming and been ready for His coming, it should have been these religious leaders. Why? Because they were versed in the Old Testament. And they knew the Scriptures by word. But the first thing I want to say to you this morning is that you can know the words backwards and forward. But if you don't know the Word made flesh, you're in trouble. That is the first thing that is so important for us to know this morning. And then it says they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. And it was now eventide. Now, I kind of wonder what was going through the mind of this lame man. Because he's standing there. He's obviously healed. They knew that he was lame from birth. He's not the same man that he was a few moments ago. And yet these people that extended healing to him are thrown in prison. What must he be thinking? But it says... Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So this man was undeniably healed. There was nothing that they could say to refute that. So all they could do is throw these men in jail and hope that things die down. But it obviously didn't have the result they were expecting or hoping because 5,000 people... At least, because it says five thousand men, it could have been more if you include women and children. Five thousand men came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then and then it says all these people that were gathered together against Peter and John, and I don't know about you, but to me that would be very intimidating. And I often pray that if the Lord calls me um, to be a martyr or even to suffer physical affliction for him, that he will give me the added strength to do that because I don't feel in my present state that I would be able to do that. I feel like I'd be very easy to torture. Um, but I pray that if if it comes to that, that the Lord give me supernatural strength. And that's what we see here in this passage, actually. Because... Remember, if you look at the end of every gospel, you see that Peter was someone who ran. And he said, I don't know the man. He said it three times. I don't know who you're talking about. How can you say that I was with him? And yet, with the power of the Holy Spirit, this same man spoke boldly for Christ after the day of Pentecost. And then, even though in, chapter, in verse 2, uh, they were grieved that he, they were preaching in the name of Jesus, they still said in verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked Him, By what power or by what name have you done this? You know, one thing that I also notice in the Scriptures is how dense the religious leaders were. If you look at the book of John, you'll see that over and over again, The religious leaders asked Jesus, Who are you? And he would proceed to answer them, and they would get mad at him for his answer. And then they would ask him a little while later, Who are you? And he would answer, and they would get mad at him for his answer. And then they would ask him a little while later, Who are you? And the pattern continued until it ended with the cross. But praise God, the cross was not the end. Because we read here that they preached Jesus, and the resurrection of the dead. There is a resurrection of the dead. And we will rise because he has risen. And then it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the infinite man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you all. That's the only answer he could give. Remember, this is the same man, same physical man that ran from any acknowledgement of who Jesus was. And yet Jesus forgave him. And when he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, He spoke boldly and said, It's by Jesus Christ that this man is made whole. And so we can see that Jesus Christ can make all the difference. Well, let's look at Acts chapter three, verses one through eight, just in by way of cross reference, and look at part of the details of the event that precipitated this catastrophic response by the religious leaders. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. And they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping... Up, stood, and walked, and entered with them in the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now this should have this should have made the religious leaders excited because they should have seen the power of God in this. This man had been lame from birth, there was no refuting it, everybody knew it. He was placed here every day so that he could beg alms so that he could survive because he couldn't work another trade. And so everybody knew it. He was in the public square. People knew who he was. And he was healed. But again, the Pharisees were more concerned about externals than they were about what was going on in life and what Jesus was doing and what God was doing. I think of another instance, well, a couple different instances with the Pharisees. Remember when the lame man was put through the roof because his friends wanted him to see Jesus. I can, I can imagine as I read that passage, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were sitting in that house wiping roof tiles off of their shoulders as the roof comes caving down on them. And totally missing the fact that, that Jesus was going to heal this man And as they're reasoning in their hearts... See, this is another thing that gets me. As they're reasoning in their hearts, what man can forgive sins? Because He said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, why reason ye in your heart? So He's telling them the things that they were thinking. They didn't even say it to Jesus. They were just thinking it. But He's telling them the very thoughts in their minds and hearts. And He says, which is easier to say... Uh, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. But so that you can see that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to this man, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked from that very hour. And I remember another time with the man at the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, when Jesus healed the man and he took up his bed and was walking home and rejoicing. And they said, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? They cared more about the bed than the man that was in it. They cared more about the bed than the man that was in it. Oh, may we never be that way. Jesus cared about people. And He wants us to have the same care. Henry Emerson Fosdick said, Some people have just enough religion to make themselves miserable. We are not here because of a religion. We're not here to earn brownie points or uh, to, to get a stamp of approval in our book. The only book we should be concerned about being in is the Lamb's Book of Life. And the only way we get into the Lamb's Book of Life is because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ who says, whosoever will may come. That's how I came to Christ when I was five years old. Was through His grace and mercy. I was raised in a Christian home. I was born in May of 1979. May is a great month to be born. When I was a kid, I liked the fact that it was about halfway between my birthday and Christmas, so I got presents every six months. It was a good deal. But the problem was, I was supposed to be born in August. My parents were um, going on their their last vacation before becoming parents, and I decided to join the party, and so I was born three months premature. When I was about one year old, my parents were told I would never walk and that I had cerebral palsy. My parents raised me to believe that God had a purpose in everything. But despite that, after I was saved, I spent nine years fighting with God and saying, God, if you gave me a healthy body, then I could serve you. But because you didn't, because you made this one mistake, I know I've been raised to believe that you make no mistakes, but because you made this one mistake, I can't serve you the way I want to. And for nine years, I carried that. But then God broke through and he said, Andrew, he said, I don't need to change your outside. I just need you to let me change your inside. Move out of my way. Let me work through you. And I'll do great and wonderful things. And he has done that. Sadly, it took hitting rock bottom a year before that when my baby brother passed away. And I remember weeping in my mother's arms after that, saying, why did God take my seemingly healthy baby brother? He just died in his sleep, no explanation. And leave me here when I'm completely useless. That's where I was. So if you have felt useless, maybe you feel useless today, please know that God has a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for works that He has before ordained, that we should walk in them. He has work for you to do if you trust Him. If you trust Him today, He will have work for you. I guarantee it. He doesn't leave any of His children without assignment. Alright, well, we're moving through this passage in Acts chapter 4. So, let's look at... Um, Acts 4, 11 to 20. Acts 4, 11 to 20. Um, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when Jesus saw the boldness of Peter, and, now when they saw the Boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and an ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against that. Remember, I told you they, they, this man was lame from birth and he was standing there, so they couldn't say anything against it. How can you? This man that had a seemingly lifelong infirmity no longer did. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them. It is manifest to all in the dwelling of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, and they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak of Je- in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God judge ye, for we cannot uh, but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So here's the situation. They're like, we can't deny the miracle, but we don't want them to take away our popularity. That's basically what they're saying, and they actually said it in those words in John chapter 11. Jesus is taking away our fame. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what they said, and that's what they're repeating here in Acts chapter 4. They're like, "We, our popularity with the people is going sideways. We thought we took care of this when we nailed him to a cross, but they're still talking about him, still talking in his name. So we gotta tell them not to." and he's just talking about how Jesus being rejected still is the key. He's the head of the corner. He's the cornerstone of our salvation. And then he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It's all about Jesus, folks if you're relying on something other than Jesus to get you to heaven, I'm sad to say that you're going to wake up one day in eternity and realize you didn't get there. It's not about whether you're worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. Just ask the people that live with me. They'll tell you. They even volunteer it sometimes without you asking. But I'm redeemed. My life has been changed in a way that I cannot fully express. And I'll spend all eternity trying to say thank you. Because it's that great. It's that amazing. And then, notice something else. And beholding them... Okay, it says... um, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived... That they were unlearned and ignorant and then they marvelled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now I I I I don't assume that I'm speaking to all everyone who is a you know I don't assume I never assume that everyone that I speak to is a believer, but I trust that the majority of you are. And if you are, I have this question for you: When people see you, do they perceive that you've been with Jesus? There's a Sidewalk prophet song that I love. It says, I want to live like that. So that everything I say and do points to you. And these disciples, even though they were fishermen, even though they were supposedly unlearned men, when they saw their boldness and they saw the way they preached, they knew they had been with Jesus. Remember what it was said about Jesus? They sent uh, guards to arrest Him once before his time had come, and they came back empty-handed, and they said, why didn't you bring him? We told you to arrest him. And they said, no man spoke like this man. And so it was the same power that Jesus spoke with, that Peter and John were infused with, because of the Holy Spirit. And so, they, and then they said, whatever you do to us, we're going to continue to speak in this name. Kind of reminds me of the book of Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. They said, we will not bow. And they said, our God, who is faithful, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and from you, O King. But even if He does not, we will not bow. You know, um, 10 out of the 11 surviving apostles, if you don't count Judas, were martyred for the sake of the gospel. And John, they tried to martyr him. They boiled him in oil. They couldn't kill him. So they exiled him to Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But for most of these men, they would die for their faith. So they really meant what they said when they said, it doesn't matter what you do to us. We're going to keep preaching in Jesus' name. And uh, I just want to look real quick again at Acts chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk. For the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to you and have killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof you are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, which is by him, given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, uh, he's basically, you know, he's chastising the people. He's like, you had you had the Prince of Life who was working on your behalf. He's healed people. He never did a wrong thing. He always had compassion for others and you killed him. And yet he didn't stay then. He rose. And it's his power that is allowing this man to stand before you, and uh, I just I think about the fact that the Creator God died on the cross for us. The one who spoke everything into existence, He created the Roman soldiers who drove the nails into His hands. He created Judas who betrayed him. He created Peter who denied him. He created his own imperfect mother. I think of the song "Mary Did You Know." The line that always gets to me is, "This child that you delivered will soon deliver you." How amazing must that have been to Mary? I, I believe Mary was among, must have been among the five hundred that saw Jesus again after he rose from the dead. And how amazing was that to realize that when she said in Luke chapter 1, my spirit shall rejoice in God my Savior, to realize once and for all that this man Jesus, the Son of God, had become that Savior for all time. What a great thing. Hugh Latimer once preached before King Henry VIII. Henry was greatly displeased by the boldness in the sermon and ordered Latimer to preach again on the following Sunday and apologize for the offense he had given. The next Sunday, after reading his text, he thus began his sermon. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know, know, before whom thou art this day to speak, to the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease, but then consider well Hugh. Dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholdeth all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell, therefore take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. He then preached the same sermon he had had preached the preceding Sunday and with considerably more energy. You see, it's not up to us, or it's not important, it shouldn't be important to us, what people think. What God thinks is most important. You see, there's some ugly truths in the Bible. I have to, as a faithful minister of the gospel, tell you that we are all sinners. That we have no hope apart from God. None of us deserve heaven. We all deserve to spend eternity in the fires of hell. And hell is a very real place. Make no mistake. Jesus talked more about hell than about heaven. He wasn't using a metaphor. He said there's two places that you can end up. If you're righteous through Jesus, you can end up in heaven. If you don't choose Jesus... You can end up in the fires of hell. Those are the two places. He said, don't fear the one who can kill your body. Fear the one who can throw your soul into hell. I'm thankful for forefathers like Hugh Labanine who are willing to preach the whole counsel of God. It's getting to a place in the United States of America where that may cost us. And we all have to ask ourselves if we're willing to pay that cost. Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. A cross is not a pleasant thing. A cross is a symbol of execution. The most barbaric execution that the Romans did. And yet it is also a symbol of hope. It's a very beautiful thing when we see um, what Christ has accomplished through it. Alright, well we talked about the religious leaders being greeted and we talked about Peter and John reacting boldly and this last point may be one of my favorites Because if it were me that was ridiculed and told not to speak in Jesus' name, maybe I would start whispering in Jesus' name. Maybe I would pray that God would remove the persecution. That's kind of the the Western culture's way of thinking about it. But as we finish this chapter of of, uh, Acts chapter 4, we will find another result. Acts chapter 4, verse 21 So when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding nothing that they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for what was done. For the man was about forty years old on whom the healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, remove this persecution from us. No, they didn't. They said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David said, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever, thy hand and thy counsel determined to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And listen to this, folks. It says, And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the Holy Child Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were, assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with fullness. So, first of all, they did something that we all should do more of. Because they didn't come to God in prayer with a bunch of requests for what they wanted. They said most of this final section of this chapter acknowledging God for who He was and said you created everything and they, they glorified Christ the Holy Child Jesus and they said you have authority to do whatever in your hand and counsel is determined to be done. Because you know everything. I've heard that the definition of wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. If we see life from God's perspective, we will have wisdom to, leave this, to live this life. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. This is not the response of mere humans. Because without the Holy Spirit of God, they would run and hide. And I I believe that even myself, I would struggle with whether to do that without a specific infusion of the Holy Spirit at the given time. But Jesus did promise us that we would have that. He said, The time is coming when you will be led before kings. And you will be led before magistrates. But do not fear what you will say to them. For in that hour, I will give you what you will speak. A lot of times we want to know the details way ahead of time. I know, coming here, especially the first time last year, I wanted to know all the details of what was expected of me before I got here. But a lot of times Jesus says, Obey me now, and I'll explain later. Job never understood on this earth why everything was taken from him. He probably knows now. But he never was given an explanation. It wasn't like in the final chapters of Job. God said, Job, this is why I did it. And Job said, Okay, I get it. No, he said, Who are you to question me, Job? Did you make the sky and the sea? Did you Can you draw a Leviathan out of the sea with a hook? Do you have more power than me? And it says that Job put his hand over his mouth and he repented of that attitude. After all that Job had been through, he still had to acknowledge that God had the right to do it. God had the right to allow it. That's what I had to come to in my own life was realization that God had a right to place me in this wheelchair. I truly believe it's one of my saving graces because there were things that I could have gotten mixed up in had I been able to that God spared me from because of my wheelchair. And I was a captive audience. Glad then it was just me and God as we wrestled through things. I think of Jacob who wrestled with God through the night and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Well, God has surely blessed me immensely. I just want to share with you by way of cross reference a few verses in First Thessalonians, and hopefully I can find it here. Not cheap. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Keep in mind that the writer of this, Paul, he spent the majority of the time that he was writing his epistles in prison. And they weren't the nice jails that I go to visit in the Kent County Correctional Facility with two beds and clean sanitary conditions and three squares a day. no. They weren't. They were off in dungeons where he was handcuffed to two guards, one on either side. And you know what? He continued to preach the gospel. Those, those guards, some of them must have been like, I don't want that assignment. Please don't chain me to Paul." But you know what? In, in, in the end of Philippians chapter 4, it says, The saints of Caesar's household greet you So even some of Caesar's household came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll meet them someday because Paul was faithful to continue to preach the Word in season and out of season. That's the kind of faithful that I want to be with the Word of God. Because see, my life was changed in a way that I can't express. But he is faithful. I want to ask you are you struggling today? Have you surrendered to him? I hope and pray that you will. If you want to talk about this, I'm more than willing to talk to you afterwards. There are probably staff members here as well that would love to talk to you about the life of Jesus. It's not going to be easy. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He said, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. So you want abundant life? It's not in cars. It's not in money. It's not in jobs. It's in Jesus. Jesus is the way to an abundant life. John Newton said, May the grace of Christ our Savior and the Father's boundless love with the Holy Spirit's favor rest upon us from above. Thus may we abide in union with each other in the Lord and possess in sweet communion joys which earth cannot afford. And, um, I am so thankful that that joy is uh, a part of my life, and um, I want to uh, share with you a song and see if I can get the lyrics in front of me so I don't mess it up. So, but as I'm doing that, I just want to say thank you for listening, and I hope that this has been a blessing to you, and I it, it will give you a lot to think about. Remember, the disciples were not special in the sense that, you know, Jesus could have chosen the most educated, but he chose fishermen. His first encounter with Peter was when Peter said, Depart from me, for I am an evil man. And Jesus looked beyond that to his potential. So, just know that, um, that that is something that he will do for you as well. He looks at us on the basis not only of who we are, but um, who we can be. All right. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus praised his strong and loving arms around me. And he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cares for me. Every day He comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand His words of love. But I'll never know just why He came to save me. Till someday I see His blessed face above. No one ever cared for me. Like Jesus, there's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your care. We thank you for this story in Acts 3 and 4 about this lame man who was lame from birth, lame for 40 years, and yet you healed him and gave him life. And more than that, Lord, you, you pointed the way to eternal salvation. Lord, our, our inner man, can thrive even though our outer man is perishing day by day. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray your peace and blessing upon everyone here, that they would trust you wholeheartedly, that they would have the boldness of Peter and John, whether they're serving here at camp this summer or whether they're going to their 9 to 5 tomorrow or whatever it is that you have planned for them, that you would... um, Help them to be Jesus to those around them. Lord, may we, as the disciples of old, turn the world upside down for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Andrew. Twelve thirty. The dining hall for lunch.